I feel unworthy of the kind words that Marcus shared about us, but um, to God be the glory for whatever he has accomplished in our lives to Marcus's. Let me just go back a little bit. 1990, we were building a log home in Freiburg, and I remember so well. Uh, near the completion of that, a young man named, I had known Marcus before, but I remember when Marcus pulled in there, and he had not been part of the Fairview Log Home team before. So I found out that he's just returning from Canada, as I recall, not all that long ago, and went back to Fairview Log Homes, Whitey, where he'd been previously, I think, in 19... That kind of ages us, doesn't it, Marcus? Oh, yeah, 1990. But I remember he was part of the doing the final construction and doing some of the uh, meticulous work on the inside of the log home um, at that time and got to know him, and I remember very well when he told me that he's getting married to a young lady named Narita, and I had just gotten, started to get to know their family as well because at about that same time, their family started coming to Gospel Haven, the Cecil Yoder family. I love that beautiful, harmonious, four-part harmony singing. Uh, it's a little bit different. I really enjoy your singing otherwise also, but this was uh, a great way. I'm going to ask you, invite you to turn in your Bibles or your... Uh, scripture of some time to the book of John, chapter 10. The book of John, chapter 10. I've preached here enough that you probably know that I often am in an Old Testament book, but I was drawn to this this week knowing what your church, the stage of your church right now, and ordination time is a special time. It draws our hearts together. And I just want to say especially to, um, um, to Tim Candles, uh, to Mike's, and uh, also to Matt's, you know, it's also a time of, and Wayne, you as well, it's a time of surrendering your life to God and saying, God, I'm willing, what do you have for us? And uh, I just see good things happening here at Providence with the ordination that took place last weekend, uh, and our continued prayers to you, Wayne and Mary, and your family as you fill into this new role. John 10, where you have your Bibles open, speaks about sheep. In fact, it's um, a lot of images that help us focus. It speaks about sheep, shepherds, sheepfolds, thieves and robbers, speaks about life, abundant life, and it also speaks about some things that we'd like to address, and that is the voice of the shepherd, and also the call to follow the shepherd. So those are some of the things that we'd like to address as we look into um, John 10. John 10 is a very interesting portion of Scripture. The word sheep is used 15 times. So, predominantly, the theme is about sheep. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with sheep or how much you've interacted and worked with them, but if you have, you know that sheep are a very um, vulnerable, yet a peaceful animal. And uh, the two verses I'd like to just read before I... It's verse 9 and 10 where I'd like to center on today. And where the Bible says, I am the door, if any man enters by me, 
He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the theme that we like to look into today. As we look into John's gospel and see once what he's trying to say to us. So a little bit more about sheep. I'm kind of curious, have any, did any of you grow up on a farm or in a little corner where you had sheep on, that you interacted with sheep quite a bit? Did any of you? I'm curious. No farmers or no type of people that are interacting with sheep at all in the congregation, huh? Well, I noticed that in, as you drive through the countryside, you see a lot more two things in pastures, not just cows anymore, but I see a lot of goats and a lot more sheep. A guy just told me yesterday, uh, 401 Furniture, he told me, I sold my business, I'm going to start raising sheep. I thought it was kind of unique that he told me that. And he said, there's just an investment, and it's interesting how he looks at sheep and how he wants to care and shepherd and take care of sheep. So, let's look, let's look at sheep a little bit more before I read this portion of Scripture. I told you earlier that they're vulnerable by nature, that they're very peaceful. Um, they, need, they want to be guided. They want to be led. They want to be called. And they are defenseless. And if you think of a lot of animals, almost all the animals that God created have a defense system of some kind. Even the small critters, like a skunk, like a porcupine, even the small animals have a defense system of some kind, right? So what is the defense system of sheep? They really don't have any. One of the only animals that don't. And isn't it unique and interesting that God calls us sheep? We are referred to as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are referred to more often as sheep. Well, I'm glad that that's the way it is. I don't think we'd like to be referred to as a hog or a dog or one of those. But God specifically defines us as sheep. Sheep belong to a shepherd. And sheep are a clean animal. They don't waddle in the mud. They don't do a lot of other things that some of the other dirtier animals do. So, with that in mind, John 10, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not, does not enter by the sheepfold, by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. 
So let's look at these six verses a little bit briefly here. I am intrigued by the fact that in verse 3, the Bible says, let's talk about the shepherd, the chief shepherd, God. He calls his own sheep by name. God calls us by our name. Our name has a, a special ring to it. We can be in a crowd, and it can be loud, and when we hear our names, our ears start tweaking that way because we're aware that our name is said. God, in His almighty, even though a hundred billion people supposedly have lived on the earth, He refers to us as His children that He knows us by name. So if God knows our names, that means He knows our needs. If He knows our needs, He also knows our nature and our tendencies because sheep have certain tendencies as well. And I like the fact that they were called to follow Him. In Matthew's Gospel, Mark and John, the Bible refers to how Jesus called His disciples. First of all, the very first thing He says about Peter and Andrew is that He called Andrew and He said two words, follow me. The Bible says Andrew first finds his brother and told, told him, I've found the one we've been looking for, the Messiah. And then he found two more guys that were fishermen, James and John. And he said two words, follow me. The next one he finds is a man named Philip. The Bible says that he found Philip and he said two words to him, follow me. Philip then went and found Nathaniel, his friend. It doesn't tell us how he called the others. It does Matthew, though, I think. But specifically, the first six he told to follow him. So the message that I get from this is God is simply saying, as sheep, he's calling us, number one, to follow him. We define ourselves as Christians, don't we? But I like the fact, I like to define ourselves as a follower of Jesus. It just makes sense. I am called to be a follower of Jesus, and I have no shame whatsoever to define myself as a Christian, but also as a follower of Jesus, a follower of the way. Um, can I get one of you Stolswitz boys to come up here a little bit? Can you come up here and do me a favor? I don't know your names, unfortunately. Can you come up here? Which one of you likes to read? Whichever one of you likes to read, would you come up here? You'll probably notice that I'm struggling with my voice. Yesterday was such a nice day, and I took the opportunity to go out on my motorcycle. I thought it's probably my last weekend. And somehow, something happened to my throat, and I thought I'm all right. But the more I talk, the worse it gets. Marcus, I almost called you this morning and said, I'll see once how this goes. Would you be so kind as to start reading in verse 7 and to read all the way down through verse 18? Would you do that for me? Sure. That would really help me.
these do not, these do not accept, come to accept seal, and to get the seal to kill and to destroy. I have come that I may have life, and that they may come and have it abundantly. I am the God, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives the life for the sheep. But he hired me who he is not the sheep. For one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is tired and does not come and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And I am known by I am, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so have I known the Father and laid down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep which I have which are not of fold. Come also I must bring and hear them. Then they feel they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. Thank you so much. I said all the way down to eighteen. Okay. Therefore my shepherd therefore my father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes me, no one takes it from me, but I will lay it down myself. I have power to lay down, and I will come, and I will have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I trust that God will take the reading of the word and apply it to our hearts today. That's what God desires to do. But just a few thoughts on, um, on the sheep, the shepherd, and the sheepfold. First of all, uh, especially to all you children, what was unique about a sheepfold, a sheepfold was made of stone, and it was a wall. Let's imagine that this whole room would have been called a sheepfold. You know what it would have been built of? Instead of having wooden walls and a roof over it, it simply had rocks laid up. I don't know, were they three foot high, four foot high, five foot, six foot? But they were tall enough that no uh, predators could jump into the pen. But you know what was unique about a sheepfold? When you go in your house today, you enter through your door. But a sheepfold did not have a door. It had four walls surrounding it. But unique thing is, at the entrance, instead of having a door that swung like we're used to seeing it, the shepherd would be the door. He would lay down. And once all the sheep were inside at night, he would lay across the doorway. Two things happened. He would find out if a sheep would jump over him and try to get out. He would find out if a wolf would try to get into the sheepfold and try to do wreck havoc and devastation among them. So that was the purpose of that. And that's what's unique about a sheepfold. Jesus said four times in John, he said, I am the bread of life. Then he said, I am the light of the world. And then he said, I am the door. And then I am the good shepherd. That's what he calls himself. That's what he wants to be to us today. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. And he has a purpose for us. And he wants us to follow him. Um, now, coming down to verse 9, where he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That can also be referred to as salvation. There's only one door to get to heaven, 
and that is through Jesus Christ, the salvation of our souls. And once we get into that door, we have freedom. We can go in and out. If we can go in and out, we have satisfaction. We have freedom. We have fullness. And we have rest, is what God is saying. A true shepherd is called of God. And a true shepherd is sent by God. I believe you as a church's providence, you have three shepherds that are called by God, sent by God to lead you. And I'm encouraged, Pastor Marcus, Pastor Chris, and now Pastor Wayne, in front of you to lead you, uh, to shepherd you. A shepherd loves sheep. A shepherd cares for sheep. A shepherd lays down. He invests in the lives of his sheep. What do sheep produce? What are they good for? They produce wool. They produce milk. And they produce lambs. They reproduce, in other words. Now, verse 10, it's obvious that there's thieves that come and try to get in and try to destroy and try to do damage. And then he speaks about a hireling. Who's a hireling? A hireling is contrasted to the Lord Jesus Christ because a hireling does everything. I mean, when the pressure builds up, they flee, they run. But a true shepherd stays. <clears throat> I had the privilege of attending Bible, class, Bible school in Rosedale where I had an instructor named Willard Mayer. He's now in his 90s, but he's still living. And I will never forget how he explained several verses here that I'd like to point out to you today. The first verse that I remember what he explained is verse 10. A thief comes to kill and destroy. I am come that may have life. And I remember the fact that he talked about the fact that we have breath of life. But he said this abundant life is the word in Greek, zoe, Z-O-E, zoe. Jesus is come that we might have life, abundant life, zoe, not just the breath of life that God breathed into man when he created them. The second thing is I want to jump ahead to verse 27. And I want to close with this verse. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Probably most of us in here have been exposed to that verse, but we've also been exposed to the next verse, 28 and 29. So what do we make of that verse? Where the Bible says, and I give them eternal life. That's what we want. We're excited about that. But what about the next verse? How do we interpret that? What do we make of that? Or the next words, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. If you grew up in a Baptist setting, or if you listen to some radio preachers, which I know you possibly do, you will hear them teach that that is saying that once you are secure, once you have committed your heart to Jesus Christ, your salvation is secure and it will be forever secure. 
What is God really saying? I believe God is saying to us, my sheep are going to hear my voice. And it will be a continuous action word, the way the verb is used. A continuous action of hearing God's word. As long as I have continually hear God's word, God knows us and he will go on knowing us. But it's conditional on our part. And as long as we go on hearing and he goes on knowing us, we will continue following him. And as long as we go on following him, no one will snatch us out of the hands of the Father. Does that make sense? I remember so well when I, when I heard Willard Mary explain that verse and he said, it's all part of the way the verb is used. It's a continuous action word. And the continuous action depends on our part. So, I'm not going to stay here, stand here and say that it is impossible for anyone to be snatched out of the Father's hand, but I will say that as long as we hear, go on hearing, as long as He knows us and He will know, continue knowing us, and we will follow and go on following. This summer, I was sitting in my vehicle at the restaurant, and as I opened my car door, a little beautiful monarch butterfly flew in there. And I just quickly shut my door, and I just watched the thing, this beautiful creature that God had made, because it was a beautiful black and orange butterfly. And I was intrigued why I watched it for a while. I finally let it out because I wanted it to have freedom. But I was intrigued enough to start studying about the monarch butterfly. And I, and I found out that it is a very unique creature. An average butterfly only lives how long? How long do you think? Two, three, or four weeks. Sometimes up to six weeks. But typically about four weeks. What else is unique about a monarch butterfly? Their migration pattern takes them from Mexico where they swarm around the, the onyx, um, what's it, onyx fir forest in Mexico in a certain region. Millions of them gather around there. And every spring, spring, they migrate all over the United States and into Canada. And how many generations do you think it takes to make that migration. The first generation that leaves Mexico usually doesn't live to make it to their destination. But the second generation makes it. Then they spend their summer, a brief summer, in their northern plains, wherever they go. But then when the fall cool leaves, uh, the way the, the larvae that they, that they feast off of, when that starts changing, the cool air starts setting in, they set their sights to return back to Mexico. And as they do that, it again takes two generations because if they travel two to 3,000 miles, it can take them six weeks to two months to travel to their destination. But something draws them back, exactly back to where they were born. I was, and in studying, I found out that in 2000 that they had about 20 acres of area that these butterflies just populated and there were literally millions of them. But in 2020, 
they were all confined to about a five-acre section. So it means they're diminishing every year. So why do I tell you that story? Several reasons. What do they represent? They represent strength, endurance. They represent transformation. And they're willing to sustain what they believe in is a bigger cause than themselves just to make it for that next generation. I also found out something very interesting. There's a certain generation of butterflies that can live up to six to eight times as long simply to maintain and to, to pass on to the next generation. And you know what? I, I couldn't help but think as I was thinking of that story, I couldn't think of Marcus and Narita and their calling and commission to what they do at Behold. You know, they are maintaining and preserving a heritage that I believe in. To pass that on to the next generation so the world will know what was accomplished in the past for our good. So we can have a better, uh, the preservation that we have and the heritage that we have that we can appreciate. But lastly, let me just say this. The butterfly is an example of the strength and the courage and the preservation and the determination that it takes for a little itty creature that you can just squish like that if you get a hold of it to make it all the way from, say, Ohio, about 2,000 miles to Mexico. What an illustration. God is saying to us, we are his sheep. We are sheep of his pastor. He wants us to follow him. The main thing sheep do is follow. Some people, some dictionaries even call them dumb. I really didn't like that, so I didn't use that before now because I would just tend to say they're vulnerable to their surroundings. But they tend to stray. They tend to wander. We as sheep can do the same thing. God wants us to follow him in all ways. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat>